Hello, welcome to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham. Now, my next guest describes himself as the man that should be dead. And that's because Carl Loco was once London's number one gang leader. By the age of just 16, he'd been shot at, cut in the face and stabbed in the chest. And yet now, age 29, he's being heralded as the man who may just be able to help turn the tide on the epidemic that is knife crime. He's turned his life around to such an extent, it's quite incredible. He's a poet, an influencer, a community champion. He's also recently become a proud father. Prepare to be inspired by this remarkable man. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Carl Loco. Look, I didn't expect to meet a former gang member from Brixton in a swanky Mayfair members club. What are we doing here? I mean, it's beautiful. I'm not complaining. This is a magnificent setting. <laughs> I'm actually, to make it even a bit of a weird orbit, I'm actually a founding member here. Ooh. So, yeah. Get <laughs> you. Very nice, very nice. But yeah, no, do you know what I've kind of learnt to harness London. I am London, you know, so I will actually move from here. I've got a six o'clock in Brixton, and that will be a very different setting <laughs> but it's still very much London yeah you know so I'm just yeah I am London <laughs> it's a very different vibe yeah I'm sure but I think this is certainly modern London feels very fluid now mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you can pigeonhole segregate in the way that people used to agreed, agreed. And that can only be a good thing right no, absolutely I take pride in being a social commuter you know I get the best of both worlds and there's more than two so I get them, you know, so, but I, I get to enjoy and endure the aspects of all of them, you yeah. know, so yeah, we're good for it. <laughs> so how would you describe yourself? I particularly like X Caterpillar yeah. on your social media, yeah. but you are a community champion. First and foremost, actually, I should say you're a father. Yes. That, and congratulations yes. on that. So that is amazing. More of that later. But you're a poet. You're a, a former gang member that's changing lives for the better now. Are you all of those things, or is there one thing that kind of sums it all up? The word I have for it, I don't get to use it really, but I'll just call it a lover. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because even in my old life, the one that was a bit more sketchy, yeah, um, even though it was a misguided love, it was still love nonetheless. And that's what made me effective there and that's what makes me effective today. And that spans from my service in the community to the love for what I do in terms of the poetry to the love of my son. So, yeah, I'm a lover, man. <laughs> I like it. So would you say beforehand it was misdirected love? Is that the um, distinction that can be made? I mean, absolutely. Like, initially, no. So I would say if we're talking about the gangsterism, yeah, it was definitely first induced by fear, you know. So initially it was more just surviving in that environment. You know, you either just get with the program sort of thing, you know. Um, And then eventually um, bonds are made, you know, 
and yeah you just want to be your brother or your sister's mm. keeper mm. you know and love would make you toll the lines mm. you know cross the lines you know so yeah it was a very misguided love yeah it's interesting because you you read that a lot about gangs i can't um pretend to have any kind of direct experience of them but certainly this idea of a sense of belonging and a sense of of love of needing to feel part of something is what often drives young men and women to become part of gangs is that something you agree with i mean it is the bedrock like so (laughs) a lot of the time people kind of see when they hear the word gangs they just feel like i don't know some feral kids with pitchforks Mm -hmm. just kind of they're all kind of born kind of rotten eggs, you know, and they just have a gene for, you know, mischief and they're just banding together because they want to make other people's lives worse. Mm. You know, it's the complete opposite of that, you know, a complete opposite of that. Like, I wouldn't, do you know, it's, it's, there's even a romance, you know, because we are, we. I fell in love with what we would call the streets, you know, mm. so you don't fall in love. Actually, obviously, it depends, but you don't really fall in love if there's no love shown or, mm. you know, there's no kind of pull, you know. So, mm. um, yeah, it was very romantic, you know, very um, comro- just camaraderie, mm. you know. it's I've only seen such bonds created in extreme situations, you know, whether it be like I, I get to um, enjoy and endure um, some challenges and I'm, I'm an adventurer you know so when you go and maybe climb a mountain with some peers like the bonding is out of this world because mm. it is death defying it's you know it's sketchy you know mm. and the same sort of thing it's a similar kind of bonds that are made when you're you know on the ground level mm. kind of mm. getting you know up to no good you know so yeah so that sense of belonging was that need for belonging was obviously in you what was missing in your life do you think because certainly from hearing you speak before yeah you had pretty steady upbringing Absolutely. you know two decent parents yeah. mum's a teacher yeah, and hard working yeah. yeah and and how about your dad was he my kind of present was, yeah he was very present you know my dad was actually like he was the envy of other dads i mean other mums to say because he was really hands-on my dad you know and especially for like you know let's say the west african culture is one more where you know the dads aren't as hands-on you know but my dad was yeah he was the (laughs) opposite of that you know from ghana from ghana yeah Yeah, he always boasts of how my pacifier was his bottom lip you know know, so he's just yeah so yeah he's just a dude you know and um they supported me you know cared for me I didn't come from a generic backdrop of, you know, absent father, mother and the substance. Mm. That wasn't the case at all. Mm. But then the reality was that the environment, the community in which I was being brought up in, Mm. things was happening, you know. And, yeah, you kind of adapt, you know. It's like, sorry, if we were the sum total of everything we got in our homes, we wouldn't be the people we are today. You know, no one is a sum total of just what they receive at home. Yes, that can give you a part of it, you know, but you find other parts, you know, in your locality, in your 
peer group you know mm. um through your i don't know your interests you know and yeah growing up in brixton <laughs> it did add a part <laughs> so, so were you do you think you were vulnerable to Absolutely. predators or do you think you were looking for something i think it's a bit of both mm. you know it's definitely a bit of both i don't want to put it like as if um mm. You know, kind of like the Pied Piper came and played the flute and had all us kids kind of, you know, um, leaving our homes and entering the sewers. It's not, it's, it wasn't that, but definitely there were those that um, lived the life in a way that made it very attractive, you know, and then there would also be a stigma that you would receive when you're not involved, you know, so that in itself would just create a sort of pressure, you know, um, and then also you did want to you know know what was behind door number you know so yeah it's a bit of curiosity and definitely a bit of peer pressure and also a bit of um implicit leadership i would say it wasn't so much um here come you must stay with me your name is this hold this for me do that for me that wasn't the twang daily yes things like that did happen you know where I might be forced at a moment to hold someone's drugs mm. because they might see that maybe I'm younger at that time and then the police might not have stopped me or I weren't on their radar or you know for whatever reason mm. you know but that was rare you know so I say rare <laughs> so again our metrics are very different yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. I might speak about something like it's very normal and then someone else literally draws on the floor they are absolutely shocked and disturbed but the normality of it and so when I say it was rare i meant i just mean it weren't daily so it might happen like maybe once a month you know so yeah. which is not so rare i'm no, guessing yeah. <laughs> like, no. in the grand scheme of I things mean, when you're out every single day sure, sure. and you know there's many hours in the day and then maybe one moment in a month maybe six weeks as well no, i don't know yeah it's not rare it's funny because i can obviously only compare it to my childhood which was pretty idyllic i mean privileged background but not you know just two hard-working parents but we yeah. lived in the country we weren't awesome. exposed to that yeah. we just kind of ran around in fields and death slides you know in the back of the garden and whatever <laughs> and we just had we had space and we had space to roam and breathe and be and for me, just sort of hearing you talk about gangs and drugs and guns, it's that is so foreign to anything I know about childhood. But if I was growing up in an inner city, it'd be a completely different thing. And I remember someone saying to me the other day, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we know all the drug dealers on our estate. And I was going, what do you mean? Yeah. We demonise the drug dealers, but they're just people like anyone else. Absolutely. So obviously a better understanding. Yeah. Like the moment. We don't have them anymore either. But... What do we do to sort of change the, the them and us mindset so that people understand more that, okay, obviously the problem with gangs are the drugs and the guns, but what can we do to replace that sense of belonging and community that yeah. so many kids are clearly lacking? Do you know what? You made a statement you said, and I think it's just beautifully put, and that's what everyone's childhood should be, is to roam, breathe and be, you know, and... um when you actually, I call them sardines, yeah, when you live on a, I don't know, one and a half bedroom flat, like, on a tower block estate, mm. um, where 
the only park or what we call a park has like tarmac kind of <laughs> graveling and you know the rest of it you know and chewed up seats you know from maybe I don't know Pitbull last week you know like um the space you kind of have to get creative it's weird so you start to kind of you understand that there's not a liberty like you don't feel free you know there are times where your parents would say you know what you have to be in at this time because they know about what's happening you know then also when you're outside and trying to enjoy yourself you know that potentially you know you could be a victim of some sort you know and just being in that space you're not able to roam you're not able to breathe you're not really able to be so one way of especially when i say roam i feel like adventure you know and i would love love to have an outback kind of like you know just you know some land to just kind of really just roam explore you know especially as a young man you know i I really had that kind of adventure bug you know um but that wasn't yeah i just weren't afforded that so you kind of create your own and then to breathe like it's more holding your breath and the only time i actually really got to breathe was when i actually did become you know and (laughs) we say about guns and drugs being the issue guns and drugs are a byproduct you know they're not really an issue unless you've got addicts and you've got violent users and carriers of these weapons you know so what what is creating addicts what is creating violent um members of society and i would I, I would say it is the fragments of it, you know? People try to kind of fill voids in ways that they feel is, I don't know, effective. But it's not really when you look at it, it seems like a good idea, you know? And then eventually you realise that even though it might give you a momentary kind of escape, you know, that Rome Breathe B, you know, you get that escape. Um in the long run you know maybe not even that long a run you know you realize that how destructive it is you know so yeah do you think when kids have got space you know they can push physical boundaries and when they haven't they try and push boundaries in different ways maybe absolutely i mean all right taking space yeah i want to trade space at this moment with power Mm. yeah and one thing I did realise and I felt a lot is powerlessness. I felt powerless. I was the son of um, illegal immigrants, you know, that would have to tread in a certain way. You know, the aim is to be seen and not heard, you know. And I could tell when my mother or father, sorry, being a migrant to this country, would maybe get on the phone to someone that was indigenous from this country. Yeah their voices change they're trying to put on their best I've got a passport voice you know (laughs) like don't don't deport me you know and I would see and it was always coming from a a tender place and I don't mean tender in terms of loving but tender in terms of bruised you know vulnerable uh, like an aching you know and then also my mother used to work like 16 hour days and she would barely make enough to kind of make things in the house and then she's also did the exodus from let's say her village in Ghana and she's now and what a lot of people don't realize is that even though you've left the village you haven't left because now you are 
a plug for, yeah. you know, so then my mum's just working to try and sort out hospital fees and all the rest of it. So then well, she's sending money back to yes, family left constantly. behind. I mean, she's never stopped. Even now, look, till yeah. now, right. till since she came here till right. now, yeah. and that's a lot of a lot of migrants. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. Um, so then, yeah, just having that, and then also knowing that I was a minority, I began to feel it eventually. Mm. You know, and um, yeah, it just all kind of spoke powerless. Mm. You know, and you kind of get creative at a way that you're going to attain power, mm. to feel powerful, mm. you know? And there was almost nothing like gangsterism when it came to feeling powerful. Mm. You know, it changed the currency. Mm. Yes, um, we, we even began to... Like, I remember I would walk onto the main estate in my area, which had a dreadful kind of drainage system and would smell of sewage mm. all the time. And sewage is obviously uh, 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 an offensive and not very nice smell. But somehow I'll be taking deep breaths and be like, look, home. You know, it's like, it's like you kind of alter reality because it's your reality. And you kind of know that this is not going to change. So for sanity, you kind of enthrone what should be dethroned and exalt what should be kind of pushed away and... You know, and yeah, it was a weird space. So definitely, I feel like to f feeling powerless is a theme, yeah. and to feel powerful, yeah. gangsterism is a channel. Yeah. So you were creating an identity for yourself, creating ownership of an area, Absolutely. because ownership. you didn't, you weren't afforded that in yeah. in, in the no life you were living. Owners. No yeah. one's actually homeowners. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, we kind of feel like <laughs> through our it's weird because I remember it really did hit me when my first friend was... No, this was when my second friend was murdered, yeah? And I remember thinking, we kind of police ourselves, mm. yeah? What, like, within the gangs, you yeah, police like, yourselves? In life, like my first okay. point of contact um, back then, if I was attacked or robbed, is not mm. to call the police. Like maybe a normal civilian would. It yeah. would be to call my friends, right. you know? Um... So that's what I mean by policing ourselves. Mm. And then also, like, in terms of the post-Cold Wars, your locality becomes obviously your home and you have that ownership and then you're policing it by making sure that other young men from other areas ain't there because they're potential threats and all mm. the rest of it. Yeah. And this is where violence can start to be introduced, you know. And, um, yeah, I just kind of... <laughs> I just remember one time when... when my second friend was actually murdered and I'm like we're running around policing this estate because he died in a shootout yeah and I'm like he got shot twice in the head and he actually told the paramedic to tell um to tell his mom, his friends and his younger brother different separate messages I won't share the messages now but he had that it just it's just it blows my mind to think he can do that with two bullets in his yeah. head, you know? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you know? But I just remember thinking, and our parents still pay council tax. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not laughing because it's funny, yeah. but living like I'm like, oh they're still paying. Like, I mean, like, genuinely, like, peers have lost their lives mm. and we're still paying council tax. Like, it was so. I just remember thinking, this is so bizarre. Mm. You know, so, yeah, it's a shame, but it's a reality for so many. So, specifically, what did 
the gang give you that you couldn't find elsewhere? Um, you know, how, how did it fill the void? You said you're looking for identity, for yeah. ownership. How did it do that? How did, did like, having a knife or a gun make yeah. you feel stronger, make you feel more powerful? Um, mm. I think it's a change in currency. Right. Yeah? So you kind of know that you are at the bottom. Like, it's, it's, you're aware. You're not at the bottom and you don't know you're at the bottom. <laughs> you know, you can feel it, you know? We're like, yeah, this is pretty much the ground floor, you know? And um, in terms of socioeconomic or whatever, you want to kind of put it in whatever box. Um, and when the currency changes to maybe, let's say, violence... Um, there is now more mobility available for you to actually acquire and become and actually like kind of own that space and say yes I have arrived you know like you're not going to be discriminated at the interview (laughs) you know you're not going to be penalised because of your lingual syntax you know you're not like it don't matter what your surname really is you know <laughs> like so yeah you can just kind of yeah you can become you know and, and was there a sense that you were above the law because you felt did you feel protected from the law did you feel no. almost detached no. from society detached absolutely detached that's where the us and them comes yeah. in yeah. hugely yeah. the split in effect i mean it rains yeah. you know and um it wasn't so much above the law, but I was out of it. I was an outlaw. Yeah. I did feel that way. You know, like, um, as I said, just, like, with small things. Like, actually, do you know, can I be honest? As I said, in <laughs> so what happens is that there are certain triggers mm. that we then run with. But I remember quite early on when the actual police service would come to kind of serve the community, mm. they wouldn't serve our community. You know, in our locality, sorry, on our estate, and I'm not saying it in any way, they probably, the estate had a reputation, mm. you know, so it's kind of easier to generalise and, you know, maybe that's how they felt they could best do their job. But they would be a police force when they come to our community. We've never witnessed a police service. That doesn't happen. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that happens in so Chelsea. a very different approach yeah, to yeah, policing. Very different. You know, so and then that reinforced to them and us. This is what was right. so that's what actually triggered it for me initially. Yeah, right. You know, because um just their language and just the um mm. yeah, just the way they would um approach me, you know, right. and how they would deal with me. Right. So then they might stop me and ask me for my name or yeah. you know, and I'll tell them my name and they might make a statement, you know, and in yeah. the statement it might be like um like maybe like London scum. I didn't even realise a lot of them didn't live in London. I was oblivious to that. I kind of mm. thought you work in London, you're probably from London. Mm. My parents work in London, they're from London. And a lot of them, they'll kind of say London scum and things like that. And then they will just, you know, be very forceful, mm. you know. And when they would kind of manhandle us from time to time, they would basically be just very aggressive, mm. you know. And that aggression kind of spoke for society, Mm. You know. And what, was your feeling that that's how everybody felt outside Absolutely. the gang towards you, not they just the police? No, no, Her Majesty's police force. They represent the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the mainstream. That's how they. That's how they see us. 
you know, like the way they were herding us and dealing with us, like we were animals and speaking to us, like we were animals. And so you thought that of the man on the street as well? Absolutely, absolutely, you know. And they would actually, they would reaffirm that by the things they actually say. I'm not talking about kind of reading them between the lines. Yeah. Like they would make statements. I don't want to get into all of yeah, it yeah, now, yeah. but as you can, you can use your imagination, yeah. you know, and yeah, they would say things and it would be like, my days, you, you pretend it don't even cut. And some, like, eventually I got numb to it. Yeah. But very early on, I was mm. like, my days, this is a copper, mm. <laughs> a police officer. Like, mm. you kind of think that maybe, you know, they've got kind of the moral high ground mm. of sorts, you know. And to kind of see them, you know, really quite passionately, you know, um, rebuke us in certain ways. Mm. I was like, my days and this is when i wasn't doing that this is when i was just loitering like my biggest crime was loitering and smoking a bit of cannabis this is the early days you know so yeah it's interesting so so, so obviously this isn't this is a cumulative effect this is there wasn't any one catalyst where you suddenly snapped but it built up gradually so what kind of age are we talking here now you are you a teenager are you a teenager at this stage i'm a teenager i'm a teenager i'm it started off from when I was getting mugged, basically. So you when, were getting mugged. Yeah, yeah, I was getting mugged. So when I could be out maybe without my parents, mm. from that period is when I could feel my world changing. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. So there is potential. Once mm. it happens, once you know there's the potential. Mm. So that's why some people live in um, anxiety, you know. And I was constantly, like, yeah, just anxious every day. You know, so maybe I would have to get creative and where I kind of kept the money my mother gave me to go and buy maybe rice from the news agents or whatever it was, mm. you know, like I'd have to put it in the sock rather than in my pocket. Mm. You know, I kind of got used to, you know, conducting myself the best way so that I don't get a punch while being patted down and mugged, you know. So, yeah, you kind of get good, you know, little things that people might not think is necessary, but you really need those kind of skills, you know. At that time, did you ever feel a valued member of society? Did you ever feel like you belonged? Yes, yes, yes. I had a very, this is, is, it's almost why I think my return to society Mm. was aided by these initial seeds. Um, When I was younger, my parents taught me the London American dream you know they obviously came over bright eyed hopeful Mm. you know they're very hard working Mm. you know Um, my father worked really hard in Nigeria in his like early 20s and this was he's as a Ghanaian you know he just kind of migrated over there didn't know a person didn't know the language kind of the same thing did the same thing in the UK made enough money to come to the UK did the same thing in the UK sent all of his brothers to school in Russia you know by working I mean he was just my dad my my parents are I mean working like you know how on earth did they feel about you then becoming part of gang culture like did that not destroy them yeah I reckon it did but initially it was not felt because as I said I no, as I was about to say is that I was um, always considered a gifted and talented child mm. you know so um, my um, Duran primary school was awesome in terms of as far as primary schools mm. go and this is in know, Brixton this is in Brixton yeah. but yeah yeah it's, it was weird I can't remember the setup, but it was a Victorian school yeah. and we had like our own astral turf, swimming pool. It was just other schools never had that in the mm. area. And also like the school in there, the quality of it was unreal. And they kind of sieved out some really high performance. And I was one of three in the year. So they actually allowed us to sit our SATs, year nine SATs mm. in year six. 
you know, so and I ended up getting what you'd get in an extension paper in year nine, in year six, you know. So, like, I was diagnosed a child genius. I have to stay behind after school for further maths, further science. And this extended till I got to, like, year seven as well, year eight. And schooling was just really easy for me because um, if you tell me a sentence, a date, a fact, I can regurgitate it. You know, like, I can't forget that you said Rome, breathe and be, even if I wanted to. You know, like it just, once it you tell me it, I can tell you it back, you know. And our British schooling system is if you can do that, yeah. you are a genius, you know. It's like <laughs> even harder to understand yeah. Yeah. how you came off the path. Because that was the long game, right. very long game, you know. So I kind of... Um, so do you see gang life as a bit of a blip? Did you, did, you, did you always feel like you'd be able to get back out of it if you no, wanted to? No, initially I did. Right. It felt like a means to just cope. It was survival. Mm. And I'm like, listen, I've been told by every teacher, every parent, every parent-teacher meeting that the child can do anything he wants to do, he can be. My parents looked at me like a meal ticket. Like, I mean, I, they genuinely... I could see it in their eyes, even at that young age. I could see they were putting all of their hopes... We got ourselves a pension. We got ourselves a pension. <laughs> He's going to look after us. Because yeah. they believed in this meritocracy. They yeah. believed it existed, you know? Yeah. And I did. Because of their belief, I kind of believed yeah, it too, yeah. you know? But eventually, that began, began to unravel. Mm. I started to actually see that the game... Well, because you felt oppressed by other forces yeah, and, and be- things were out of your control yeah I began right. to become like aware yeah. like awareness kind of tipped in you know mm. some of it obviously is um, misconstrued you know but some of it is sound you know yeah. that there is the, the disadvantages in this you know real kind of things but yeah but initially I did feel like a member of society because of schooling mm. you know because the teachers always kind of like um, celebrated me because I'll get the 100% and the smiley face and the piece of paper it did make me feel like you know I'm contributing I am yeah. you know I'm going somewhere mm. you know but then um, I had to kind of do the maths and I'm like alright cool I'm what 10, 11, 12 this problem's still persisting I'm like I'm 13 now I'm going to be at home to, let's say, maybe, what, 21? And I'm like, all right, cool, so 14, 15, 16. I'm like, that's a bit too long to live (laughs) under this kind of anxiety and this flux and this stigma and feeling like, you know, just vulnerable. You know, my mother's car was being broken into quite regularly. My, My father would go out to kind of warn them off and um, I would be petrified terrified for him like I, I mean I, I actually would stop breathing when he would go outside I'm like listen they're dangerous don't go there you know and my brother would be I could tell by the knock on the door whether my brother was being um, literally chased by the, the way he would knock the door I could tell whether I am able to walk and answer the door whether I must run and open the door you know I might be oversimplifying it but is there any sense that it was kind of if you can't beat him join him Absolutely, and I didn't even have the channels. I know it is. It's a, it's honestly, it's. I didn't even have the channels. I wasn't even deemed kind of cool enough to even join them initially. So I made my own gang. So you, gang of one, (laughs) gang of three. Oh, you did get two mates. I'd be in your gang if you asked. I'd definitely be in your gang. Yeah. But yeah. So, so how did you how did you have to prove yourself what did you have to do to sort of earn your stripes to do you know what it's not really there's no listen 
the I would say the streets is worse than the fashion industry. Mm. Things become redundant very quickly. Mm. You know, it's not like the kind of like I don't know American archetype of like you know like I don't know the seventies. You know, with the kind of varsity jacket you mm. do a kind of rude boy initiation yeah. one off all their, all their initiations I sorry to sound ignorant but is an initiation is like what, what people testing yeah, how far you're prepared to yeah, go day. Right. like a, there was no one kind of act that kind of has you solidified yeah. and your space is not yeah this is yeah, yeah. this is yeah the, the the plates move that could be an earthquake it could be a shaking a removal an upheaval a, a mutiny of sorts you know that can happen at any moment you know so and, and did you in this whole process feel once you were part of the game did did was that, did that vulnerability fade did you feel start to feel bulletproof did you start to absolutely. feel immune if absolutely. you like from absolutely till today um i have maybe a complex i might call it a complex yeah so so even though you saw two of your friends die yeah you still didn't feel that you were vulnerable no. to that <clears throat> no um, I saw more than two, but no. The two close ones yeah, to you, and, but, ones. but you saw plenty more. Yeah. I mean, plenty of things have happened to you. You've yeah. been stabbed and cut. So, and it's yeah. At no point did you feel, oh, this is it? This is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Did you? No, yeah, yeah, at one point, yeah. <laughs> so actually, what happened? <laughs> um, I was actually at the memorial of a young man that had actually died, like, that was always his one year anniversary basically yeah. um not for marriage but you know like um yeah so we're at his memorial and it was in the lambeth area um but this area the young man actually wasn't from my locality mm. you know he was also part of a different gang but my friend was actually his friend and my friend wanted to pay his respects mm. and he was like can i come along basically will i come along and i'm like absolutely you know it's camaraderie it's brethren you know mm. even though it's putting us at risk mm. and he had actually and had you do stand out i mean you're a big man yeah, yeah absolutely I so stick did, like a soft yeah i was gonna say that yeah, yeah. that, that I mean, must that have counted against that, you as well. that was absolutely i had to you know <laughs> like can you take the big lad on I mean constantly yeah, really, like that yeah. was that was the yeah, name of the game yeah. they come across they come to me you know yeah. so um yeah so he's kind of ops kind of follow him i've said yeah we went up there um it all seemed to be going okay until it dawned on me that actually one of the young the young men that had passed the young man sorry that had passed his cousin had actually had a conflict with my friend that had asked me to follow him up there and this conflict actually took place when they went to go visit a mutual friend in the hospital that had recently been stabbed you know they just met on the corridors and then yeah altercation kind of um arise then um so then i'm like oh yeah cool that's a bit of an issue and we're in their ends, they would call it their area. And then I'm like, we're outnumbered, we're literally outgunned because we don't even have a, f- a firearm on us, you know. Um, got like maybe a knife each. Um, and I'm just like, all right, cool. So I was feeling really, pride was getting to me. This whole thing's ego, is pride. Mm. You know, and I'm like, we're sat inside at this moment and it's eating me because they're outside and people want, like, they basically want a, a, a conversation to talk, you know? So we're kind of there and it's really eating up my friend as well, you know? And then a girl that went to our primary school who was actually 
a girlfriend, the prior girlfriend of the deceased came up to us and was like, listen, you guys don't worry, don't be scared. And that's just the wrong words to kind of say to. So then <laughs> my friend has basically said, listen, mate, I'm going outside. I know you've been wanting to go outside. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you now. Like, do you want to go on? Like, Absolutely. Went outside. That actually ended up getting put to bed. Weirdly enough, but we didn't want to put it to bed because at that time we were kind of at the top of the Premier League, right. you know. So, just to show where we were, it's the fact that there's two of us in their area slipping what we call that like, outnumbered and all the rest of it and outgunned, but yet yeah, they wanted to still kind of broker a truce right. just to kind of show you like what s- space we were occupying at the time. So, but even so, because of the space we were occupying, I felt like a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Blimmin' heck, I didn't want to give no truths, like, you know. So then anyway, some of my friends came into the area. One of them that was actually driving was the one that died like a year later after that, getting shot twice in the head. Um, So yeah, they've come up and we actually thought they had something in their car. Cut a long story short, another group, not that I say a group, it's only two of them, came past the car, walking in the fashion that I really didn't like. I just ended up telling them that, hey, I was in a totally different headspace then, so something like that would just really grieve me, you know? And I just kind of had to always say something. Tried to basically approach him. Um, a Chrome 9 got pulled out on me. I sobered up, was like, my days, look, there's a Chrome 9, I'm like a, a, a firearm. Pulled out a firearm on me, a 9mm. And then I'm like, my days, look, firearm. But then that voice that usually comes again, that I'm me, I'm locks, that's what they used to call me. Kill me, live where? Like, you know? Like, I just, that kind of, that, I don't know, that bravado, whatever you call it, that voice, you know? Um, That kind of sprang back to action, and I'm like, listen, I started pushing on these guns, like, well, you're not a murderer. And then um, his friend brought out his firearm, now there's two kind of, I know. And then the, by this time, the whole kind of, um, um, the, everyone that was in the hall kind of trying to celebrate, this, not celebrate, but, you know, pay yeah. respects for this. Then I'm outside watching women are crying. Oh you know, it just looks like it's about to be the scene of, like, blue tape, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they just had no choice but to start discharging because I was just pushing on their guns, insulting them. And then they just, yeah, cut a long story short, that day, the amount of times they kind of, they emptied their clips out of me and I was convinced I was dead. That's the one time and I was really upset because I was like, I lied to my mum. I used to say with such confidence, my mum would be like, listen, what you're doing is breaking my heart and the worst thing can be for a parent to bury her son. Yeah. You know, don't make me bury you. And I always used to kind of say with that kind of, I don't know, that confidence. <laughs> Like, listen, you're not going to be burying yeah. me, you know. Sorry. And I just felt like my days, I lied to her. She yeah. is going to bury me, you know. Yeah. And that was the one day that really... But then, as I said, you kind of get... That's what I'm saying. It becomes so normalised that that was... As I said, I've been shot at more times than I've had birthday parties. That was not the first time or the last time I was shot at, you know. So how did so you like, get out of there alive? Yeah, listen, if, I, if for my story, this is why I believe in the more. This is why I am. I do have a spiritual essence about me, and I believe in the intangible, you know, because I should be dead, like genuinely. So much so that I actually got a book coming out called "Mr. Should Be Dead." I literally have been cut on my face, stabbed in my chest, butchered in my back, shot at several times, sit by single pops, automatics, close range, long range houses, been petrol bombed, you know. 
it's just like you know and that's yeah it's just yeah it was a mess so bringing it to the here and now yeah go I feel tense just listening to that. It's amazing. You gather your shoulders up and you're on the edge of your seat. Jesus. But bringing it to the here and now, there was a a significant woman who acted almost as a guardian angel, wasn't there? Tell us us about her. That's um, Brixton's mother, Teresa. She's just, um, yeah, she... um, so long and short of it is that her son was my right hand man. And her name? Um, Pastor Mimi. Pastor Mimi. Yeah, Pastor Mimi. Her son was my right hand man in the gang that we were in, and right. we had gone to the same secondary school. We were friends, oh. and she, we had grown up together essentially, you know. And she was also of, of Ghanaian heritage, you know. So I would maybe visit them. My parents were friends also, you know. Um, there was just a connection there, a relationship. And she actually, when we were really young, had something called WICO. I can't remember what it was an acronym for. But it was basically numeracy and literacy. Alright. For young people. Okay. And I think you had to be between like the ages of five and eight. Every Saturday morning. So I would go there, my mother would drop me and then I would go there. And that's how I actually first began to kind of develop a relationship with Pastor Mimi. Mm. Fast forward now, maybe about, I don't know, 11, 12 years, um, we're in a totally different space. But I don't think she ever forgot, you know, um, the kids that she was dealing with, you know. Especially didn't forget her own son, you know, and his friends. So she wasn't really too... Not, I wouldn't say the words convinced, but she weren't. She weren't scared off, you know, by our current stance. You know, she kind of thought that that's a space we're occupying, but that's not who we are. She's mm. like, I've met them. But she saw more in you than that. Absolutely, and mm. she would use that in her language. Yeah. She would be always like, "You are more than this. It's mm. more. There's more than this." Mm. So, and that in itself even appealed to my ambition, you mm. know. So, um, yeah, just by kind of having honest conversations with her, she's she's a therapist, you know. She's actually, um, I believe she's actually qualified as well. And she, um, yeah, would sit down. I would sit down with her even one on one and just kind of just speak. You know, and she, yeah, she would just listen, you know, and I just didn't feel any judgment. She just didn't, like, I was kind of waiting for her to, because I've had different kind of people that's kind of come on my journey on the road and maybe wanted to, you know, interject, you know, and kind of, you know, I don't know, derail me, you know, save me of some sort. And then, like, I kind of watch them all kind of break eventually, you know, <laughs> when they hear it may not be this, but then they heard that this, and they're like, ooh, you know, and I can kind of see it in their eyes, I've lost them, you know. <laughs> so I kind of got used to that, and I kind of was waiting for her, what's her breaking point? And I just realised she didn't, maybe she has one, but she, we, she didn't reach one with us, you know. I was literally shot out shot at outside her front door but it went through her front door got stuck in her blinds while she was in the house and she still allowed me to continue staying with them and still continue the rehabilitative work and yeah she just yeah that, that is Brixton's mother Teresa Pastor Mimi wow. yeah, oh, so, what a woman bloody yeah, hell I'd love to meet her yeah. is that the advice that you'd give then to people trying to solve the current problems first of all I want to ask you how bad you think the current situation is yeah. is it is it worse now than it's ever been 
Yeah, it is worse. You know, um, I came from an estate which was had notoriety for its violence. Yeah, um, especially its gang conflict, and that in a way back then was to the degree of which it was. It gained notoriety because it wasn't common practice on every estate in London. You know, things was happening everywhere, but maybe not to that degree. So it was exclusive, you know, at the level of exclusivity. Now, it's not exclusive. That is, I mean, that's happening everywhere. You know, everyone. Like, you know, not everyone, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just... Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is full on right now. So, yeah. <clears throat> young men, particularly young black men, are feeling more disenfranchised than ever. Is that? <clears throat> is Absolutely. that because? Is that because not enough Pastor Mimi's are out there just listening? Do you know what? I want to say that, but that's more the cure, not because. Mm. The because is the cause, mm. you know, and it's not the cause. The cause is cause is a broken system you know and gangsterism is a byproduct mm. of a bro gangs are created when there are those that are excluded mm. whether it be through them being exclusive Bullingdon Boys Club or whether it be that they are um, excluded because of poverty or because of gender or because mm. of you know ethnicity or whatever it is you know you tend to band together mm for survival it's a coping you know so do you think do you think um <clears throat> i really never expected to use the b word in this podcast brexit <clears throat> yeah. but has that made things worse oh interesting i feel like everything that kind of sponsors a wall sponsors mm. a division, division mm. will affirm mm. implicitly or maybe for some explicitly mm. that maybe, you know, that it is us in them. Mm. It you feels know? like it's stirred up a hornet's nest mm. and it feels like the backlash of that has been, you know, a further um, division-driven, if you like. It's the only way. Division is the only way <clears throat> gangs can exist. Mm. So, all right, picture this. I'm a young man, maybe 17 years old. I come from this estate. And then maybe just two roads across, there's another estate. And now we're at loggerheads, mm. yeah? Don't even know exactly why, but why? it's happening, yeah. yeah? Cool. Now, to actually have the drive, you know, or the commitment to put someone down and say that, you know what, I want to I wanna, like, carry out an act of violence against mm. them, mm. You can't see them as you. Mm-hmm. You know, there mm. has to be mm. a division. So, mm. in your mind, it's kind of almost like <clears throat> they don't, they don't breathe <coughs> the same air. Mm. You know, they don't drink the same water. If you cut them, they don't bleed mm. the same red. You know, um, even though they're from the same demographic, mm. same socioeconomic situation, a lot of them even looked like mm. me. You know, you know, and 
but you can create invisible lines mm. because they are invisible mm. and they are just wherever you place them, you know. But anything <laughs> like Brexit that does reaffirm yeah. difference yeah. can't be a good thing I mean, for bringing us yeah. all closer together. Um, <laughs> who is doing something and who's not doing enough in your mind? Is, do you have any kind of... Are there any decent leaders out there like Sadiq Khan, Prime Minister? I mean, I'm sorry to blunt this on yeah. you because it's a big question, no, but do you think that there are people out there leading the way? Are there, are, are there relatable MPs, or community leaders out there that you can say, look, we are represented at a higher level here? Do you know what? <laughs> it's interesting. I believe that there are those that have the intention to represent but maybe are so kind of far flung that even with the good intention, mm. they're still falling terribly short of well, the mark. Well, because they just cannot yeah, begin just, to empathise. Yeah, not even, do you know what, it's empathy you can do, you know, but it's when it tips maybe, it's not even healthy maybe when it tips into sympathy. Mm. You know, empathising's a bit, it's, it's, it, that's more about connection, but it's a harder balance to strike, mm. you know, and I feel like, um, yeah, it really does take kind of like maybe even life to happen to you to be able to empathize truly mm, you know mm, mm. um so i definitely believe there's a lot of well-intentioned kind of mm. leaders that are trying to do their best mm. you know but i still don't believe that there is enough like for example there's a counselor in um, my area that i live in and he's um was the first i think somalian counselor i believe of that kind of um whatever they call it borough or whatever it is and he is f he is in the mix mm. and he's actively doing and there's lots of kind of mm. i would say on a micro level lots mm. of not not i wouldn't say he's got a totally different twang to pastor mimi mm. but you know his heart's there he's he feverish it. on it mm. he gets mm. it mm. you know he's committed you know mm. and there are others on a micro level mm. but if we're talking about macro i don't see anything mm. that for me personally that I'm like yeah I can even place my hopes slightly yeah. that tomorrow will be better <laughs> yeah absolutely it's actually part of the reason why I'm, I'm launching my own think tank this year you know it's literally that was that's the main reason I've worked with other think tanks and I see that as I said the intention is there mm. you know but um there's a way of thinking when you think without yeah to think without mm. you can think without yeah and they're doing a lot of thinking without mm. you know so then that's not making them well, as talking about it but not back it i mean because i guess one big argument is is lack of investment in youth services and and and, and stripping back facilities that actually would give Absolutely. young people an outlet or you know somewhere to go a sense of belonging all the rest of it what what's your take on this controversial um, stop and searches you know, do, do, do you understand that there is yeah. a requirement for it do you know what stop and searches is a funny one um, I don't actually think there's any problem with stop and searching mm. it is how you stop and how you search right. you know? so talking about the language again that again. the police use with you and yeah, yeah. And this is going back to that if that mm. if that's the case mm. and then also when I say how part of the how is also who you know if we are making sure that we're not racially profiling mm. you know because the gang that i was involved in had lots of white boys mm. you know so 
it's not like had some Indians, you know. So it's yeah. just yeah, yeah. So I had a Chinaman, one, one was Chinese, I had a, one Chinese guy, <laughs> you know. It's not like it's just literally yeah, that's just yeah. So then I don't want it to be that, you know. Some are able to like s- sentences are being dished out and um, not that. Just stereotyping, much, but, you right, know, yeah, yeah. Not that and racial profile. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so there is a danger of that, mm. and I'm, 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 I'm sensitive to that because mm. myself, I was, you know, and I'm being honest, that was a part of my application, you know, just being mm. kind of harassed in a certain way by them made me, yeah, feel as if, oh wow, yeah, so mm. I'm kind of they're stopping me because maybe I am a threat because I'm maybe not part of them, or mm. you know, so it's what it speaks. Well, it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy if someone oh, tells yes. you enough. Absolutely. That you're in the wrong, you become absolutely, right. you know. So, yeah, I would say it's a sensitive one. So, it's how we stop and how we search. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's such a difficult question, I know, because it's such a massive problem mm. and it's pretty depressing, I have to say. Yeah. There was a stabbing about um, half a mile from our house mm. on Sunday morning, eight, eight yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, this is where I, I want to send sacred. my kids to school. I'm I like. Oh, it scares the shit out yeah. of me, you know. I mean, we all should be very afraid. I'm honestly like, um, it's when you believe that the problem doesn't affect you, mm. you know, because maybe you don't know anyone directly involved. Mm. But I know some horror stories. Mm. My days. I mean, it's like in in this life. I, I truly believe, and not even just that. It's the loss of those lights. You know, like mm. who the person could have become. Mm. You know what their contribution mm. could have been. Mm. You know. Do you, well, what do you think about the um, the view that even the knife perpetrators are victims of knife crime? Yeah. Would you would you concur? Yeah, yeah absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely. It all depends on what we. Um, it's, I think it's like the age old argument: Do you feel sympathy for the rich? <laughs> like, mm. you know, like, um, yeah, every station has a suffering. Every, mm. every single station. Mm. You know, it may not be the same suffering. Like, I'm not, I'm not about to say that um, the person that has now d- deceased, you know, is suffering in the same way mm. as the, you know, like, no, absolutely. But are they suffering? Yes. Mm. You know, um, is it easy to carry out those acts? Does it change you? Does it taint you? Does it stain you? You know, absolutely. You know, um, were they carrying that knife out of fear or was it a fashion mm. statement or mm. you know mm. if it's fear then <clears throat> like maybe like usually victims are afraid <laughs> you know so yeah, if it is rooted in fear then maybe there is a level of you know that the level that on some level they are a victim you know and and myself like i always say you never escape mm. like myself i have uh, today I, I i tend to kind of use particular vocabulary but for the sake of this I will say just so that the truth can actually I suffer today yeah I suffer from PTSD absolutely absolutely I can't have a certain figure pass me and then repass me Mm. I mean like happened to me on the platform this morning I can't see maybe a certain a certain proximity to me and maybe it might have a hood on. Mm. You know, sorry about it. They might have a hood on. And um, if they pass me and then pass back quite quickly, I will 
yeah, antennas will be all the way up, mm. and I'm not on the radar of anyone. Right. <laughs> like, do, I'm do you feel so? Do you feel safe and oh, to man. the extent that you aren't? Part of that um, scene anymore. How long has it been? It's been so long. <coughs> it's how, long been, how old are you now? I am 29 now. Right. Yeah, so I, I would say I denounced it totally when I was about maybe 21 and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, yeah, like my kind of one of my main enemies was a, um, a groomsman at my wedding. He's one of my best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I am, wow. like, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, so. totally, just, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. You know, so I'm not. Yeah. So the, you're not scared of repercussions no, from no, no, back no, no, then, no, no, no. but it's what no. it did to you in terms of psyche. And you know, so I can't mm. hear if I see a group <clears> of maybe <throat> 30 men, <clears throat> 20 men. <clears throat> my antennas, I act, my mood <clears throat> changes. I actually get semi angry <clears throat> just by seeing 20. Do, is there like, anything you want to say to them? You know, is there an urge in you to talk to them? I mean, you're now a father of a son, you I know. know. I mean, which is, by the way, incredible. Thank you so much. I mean, it's, you know, you. your whole face just lights up the mere mention of him. I love him. Little lion lover. I love him. Oh, my God. Yeah, how no, how, how so has that real. changed you? How is that taking you on another level? I mean, clarity. Wow. I just always, uh, yeah, they ask me and I say clarity. Yeah. You know, um, just, you know, he's a great sieve. You know, he's. I think my discernment is a, a lot better because of mm. him, you know. I'm able to actually know where I should invest my energy, yeah. you know, and it is more about making sure that tomorrow for him is better mm. and not just financially. That's probably quite low on the list. Mm. Very important, you know, but quite low on the list. Mm. Like, I want tomorrow to be better in terms of you know how he feels mm. you know occupying a space in in England and mm. you know in London and, and is that something that worries do you do you lose sleep over that I would I'd say no mm. but um I should maybe say yes because well, I mean you've just said we should all be yeah, afraid yeah, you know on a, on a so subconscious level um I think it's why I only wanted girls, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. on some level, I think maybe, because everyone else, like, they're like, oh, I would have thought you wanted a boy, or I'm like, nah, could have done with no boys, mate. Yeah. Like, but yeah, maybe on a subconscious level, but for me, one of the things I know is that financially, that's a huge aspect, mm. you know? So partially, like, part of my even wanting to be in a certain financial situation is to be able to shield him from certain mm. happenings. Yeah. I mean, just, that is... Because uh, if you can't change the situation, just take him out of it. I mean, mm. it is currently... <laughs> it's currently the layer though, of the isn't land. it? Uh, I mean, listen, absolute. I'm probably being an idealist to think any, any different. I, yeah. Listen, I certainly have a fear now that I never had before as a parent. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you worry about the world you oh, live in and see it in such a different way when, yeah, you, when you've yeah, got I know kids. Fear now. I didn't know fear before. Mm. Yeah, 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 I'm afraid now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I am. You know love now in a way I you didn't know, know before. I mean, in a totally different way. You know, like, he's, yeah, he's definitely, just him being here mm. has subpoenaed more from me. Yeah, I'm going to definitely, I mean, it is, and not even, even if he by the grace of God won't ever be the case but let's say 
yeah, he's gonna live, flourish, die of old age. Yeah. Um. To know that someone else has had to bury their son, mm. I didn't really know what that was. Now I've got a son. I'm like my days. Mm. Having to bury your son, like you put maybe his first school uniform on him, took him to. I mean, this is a bit much. Mm. This is like, we definitely shouldn't just see it as names in a headline. Like, this is somebody's mm. child, you know? Mm. Like, they had the hopes, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's just all, it's all a bit surreal at the moment. Mm. But, yeah, we're getting on. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Uh, listen, I know there's going to be lots of people listening who will want to hear more from you. I mean, I want to hear more from you. <laughs> where where can they hear more? Tell us a bit more about the book, what other projects you've got coming yeah. up, because you're doing some amazing things. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, um, you know, it's so, social media is now the beast that we all have to, yeah. <laughs> to work with. I was actually quite hesitant with the socials, but I actually, I'm a, I'm a fan now. Mm. I see that it's just, you know, it's a change that, you know, can be used, you know. And so, yeah, definitely Instagram. Um, I'm there at Carl with a K K A R L underscore Loco L O K K O, um, and I, I tend to post in my captions. It's kind of like I'd say micro blogging, mm. you know, and just kind of imagery. And then I do some videos. I'm gonna start doing my videos again. Mm. I actually stopped them just before the run up to Christmas, and I haven't started yet in 2019, but they're coming as well. Um, I also doing like five offline events a year. So if they follow me on socials they'll be aware of it next one being a poetry night in the club that we're in at the moment Um, just tell us um how the poetry helps you and and how it kind of connects with others because i've heard you i kind of quite like you to do a little bit at the end of this podcast how do you feel about that do you yes come on come on gotta end on a high because we've talked about some pretty heavy shit (laughs) so um so just tell me how it helps you first of all and then just pick a lovely little piece that you can close this off with poetry for me is the ambiguity of it you know i wasn't actually afforded the luxury of being able to speak my truth on different levels you know so i was able to um yeah hide pain in those words you know and um yeah i did it initially just for me like I never had any intention of sharing any poetry with anyone ever. <laughs> like, so it was like a form of therapy for you oh, just to get it out, get absolutely. your feelings out there. And by ambiguity, do you mean people can just take from it whatever's personal to whatever them? Whatever's personal for them, right. you know. And I am a firm believer that we have more in common than indifference. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that to be the case. You know, um, so yeah, I just kind of just pull it out there in certain ways, and then people tend to receive it. You know, and. Anything that comes from the heart goes to the heart. It's just kind of this textbook, you know. So, yeah, and I've always loved words. I love the fact that sound can have meaning, you know, and it can just convey an emotion, and an emotion can move someone. Yeah, I just, for me, I'm, yeah, I'm just fascinated with it. So any opportunity I get to share it, I tend to take it. Here's yeah. your opportunity. <laughs> Come on, I put you on the spot here. But yeah. is there one verse or some poem that you can um, go to and that you think will resonate with everyone listening? Do you know what? <laughs> no, I'm I should to keep have warned you about this, yeah, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but you can do a bit of both. Yeah. Bit of um, light and shade. Light and shade. Maybe shade and light. Shade and light. Finish yeah? on light. All right, cool. Always. Yeah. Um, You have to be cruel to be kind. I've seen some be cruel to be cruel, but me, I, 
I was cruel to be kind. My mind. My mind. I question whether my mind was mine for. I was living to kill. Killing to live. Emotionally bankrupt without a shilling to give. No pity to borrow for this city was hollow. So his footsteps I followed. I walked, no. No, we walked. From today to tomorrow. Emotionally bankrupt without a shilling to give. Living to kill. Killing to live. Heart cold. Heart cold, so cold it stayed cold for it had been in his fridge. Right next to that ketchup jar filled with blood. Blood more red than pain. Blood more lost than gain. Blood down that London drain. From the womb to the bosom I was filled with love, love, nurture, nurture. But then that nurture was murdered. My demons were fervent for I believed the lie but, but she was dressed in truth. And she looked amazing. Complexion fair. Robed in honesty. So I allowed her to climb on top of me but just to kiss. But then she coughed my hands and unzipped my zip and sweet. So sweet was the poison that dripped from her lip. So now my mind is pregnant with ill intent for it has been raped by lies. So I shoot and I stab. And the place I was stood has now been taped by lines. The pain that I've seen makes me hate my eyes. But I had to be cruel to be kind. Yeah. Oh, I held my breath for all of that. That was beautiful. Oh my God, so Carl! Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank what a you so much. Thank you. What an amazing time to spend with you. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been a I've pleasure. Got a spring in my step now. Oh, man, to awesome. go and deal with the world. Let's get it done. Thank you. <laughs> no, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Absolutely.